Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network, alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton, Lance Lee, Jacob Swanson, Emma Notstein, David Reed, the chairman of the board. They all make the show happen for us. You can follow the show on Twitter at Outkick360, of course, on YouTube, on Facebook. And if you are listening on podcasts, we hope you'll, hope you'll like and subscribe. Give us a rating there as well. And uh, share the podcast, if you don't mind. Always great to be joined by the great John McClain on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. Time to get the latest NFL headlines, uh, which continues to be Deshaun Watson and Houston. But first, John, congratulations to the Baylor Bears, national champions of college basketball. You have to be thrilled. I'm thrilled. I'm proud as someone who went to my first game when I was a Cub Scout. When I was eight years old, basketball and football, I've been a big Baylor fan since. I've never tried to hide that. And I never thought they would win a national championship in men's basketball. The women have won three. Uh, they've won others in women's sports. This is only the second national championship for a men's team in Baylor history to a tennis team a few years ago. So considering where that program was when Scott Drew took over and all the limitations he had the first two years, no non-conference games, no, very, very limited scholarships. They were taking walk-ons and telling those walk-ons, if you walk on, you got a chance to play and you might even start. So after that terrible first two years, and then it kind of evened out, Scott Drew's done a fabulous job. You talk about great timing. Baylor is about to build a new basketball arena, and they're waiting on the final funds. And something like this just makes those wealthy alumni, not including me, step up and say, here, how much you need in this check? And as I proposed on my two weekly shows a week in Waco, they need to build statues outside that new building to Kim Mulkey, the women's coach, and Scott Drew, the men's coach. And, John, you know the history of Baylor Athletics as well as anyone as an alumni and someone who's followed that program for so long. I'm having a hard time even coming up with a comp for Scott Drew and the job he's done at Baylor in those 18 years since taking over in 2003 and what he inherited for a program that really didn't have a lot of success in their history uh, with Baylor basketball. How remarkable is it when you see what he inherited and what he's done with his program? When I started watching Baylor, they were terrible in the old Southwest Conference. And then at one point, they got good enough to finish second or third several years in a row. They never had it. In the Southwest Conference, for the longest time, didn't have anybody go into the NBA. And then Baylor got its greatest player in history, Vinnie Johnson, who went on to help the Motor City Bad Boys and Detroit win back-to-back -back NBA titles. And that kind of turned around the recruiting where they did get some guys who went on to the NBA. But when Dave Bliss was there, and he had success, and then it turned out an assistant coach recorded him uh, when he was talking to the players and coaches, 
And when he had one player kill another one, tried to blame it on the drug deals gone bad. And uh, I thought they were going to abolish the program. It was so down. And they fired Bliss. And they went from, you know, ecstasy to agony. And then Scott Drew came in after being head coach for one year. And he looked like he hadn't even reached puberty. He still barely looks like he's 18 and he's 50. But when he came in, and and I'm glad CBS showed this as an initial news conference when he said, I'm here to win a national championship. And everybody laughed at him because the, with the restrictions he was starting out with. And 18 years later, nobody is laughing at him. I think it's accurate to say that Scott Drew has done the greatest basketball turnaround in history because of the circumstances and the limitations. People say, well, what about Jerry Sandusky and Penn State football when Bill O'Brien came in? But they had built-in recruiting there. And, yes, it was a great turnaround by Bill O'Brien in his two seasons before he came to the Texans. But when you see where Baylor was, I, I know I'm partial, guys, but the fact is, as CBS said, it is the greatest turnaround in college basketball history, maybe the greatest turnaround in college sports history. What was your expectation going into that game, John, uh, after seeing Zags and UCLA, but Baylor uh, conquering Houston the way it did, too? Well, I'm sorry you brought that up, Paul, because I'm picking <laughs> Zag about four. And uh, most people I saw did. I noticed on, I watched like hours of pregame shows of Seth Greenberg and Alfonso Ellis picked Baylor. And I thought Baylor in that victory over the University of Houston, which was its best performance of the season, I thought, well, okay, there it is. That was the best performance. Now, how are they going to be able to do that again? How are they going to be able to do that against a team that's unbeaten, leads the country in scoring at 91 points a game? And what impressed me the most wasn't the free throw shooting, 44% compared to an NCAA best 41% during the season. But the way their defense was great all season, especially with their guards, but every one of those players came out, and they were relentless on defense. I thought Drew Timmy, who had scored 22 in the paint against UCLA, would beat him up inside. He's 6'10". They got Thamba, 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 Jonathan Chachua in the middle, and I thought neither one of them could control Timmy, but they did a tremendous job of being relentless on defense. They were smart the way they switched, the way they got back, and I think ultimately that is what won, and they out-rebounded them 38-22, to and Mark Vidal, whose who's value to Baylor could never be measured in scoring, had eight or nine offensive rebounds, and you knew the guards were going to play well, but I thought Thamba and Chamba Joshua playing inside, that those guys both played better than they had been. John, first national championship in basketball for a school from the state of Texas since Texas Western in 1966 for Baylor. And you had that national semi with Baylor and Houston that you mentioned. I'm just curious, there in the city of Houston, what was it like in terms of interest around Houston basketball and then Baylor getting ready for that Final Four matchup? Well, you can imagine the largest city in Texas, third largest in the country. There's a lot of Baylor alums here. I mean, like 50,000 down here. And then University of Houston. So it was it was a lot of good-natured trash talking last week on the talk shows. And uh, I've got a lot of friends that went to Houston. And I said, and I, and I tweeted, I said, if it's not Baylor, 
Albert's Houston, Kelvin Sampton did a tremendous job of turning around the Cougars program. I was a big Cougar fan during the Faisalama Jamma era of 82, 83, 84. When you go to three Final Fours and you don't win and you lose two championship games, including the last one to North Carolina State, when Lorenzo Charles put up an air ball by Derek Wittenberg on a dunk to win the game, and that enduring memory of Jim Valvano running around the court looking for someone to hug, that was devastating. We've had a lot of devastating losses in Houston history at the pro and collegiate level, none worse than the Oilers' choke job at Buffalo in the uh, wild card game after the 92 season. But man, oh man, a game to go to the World Series and a three-game lead in the ninth with Nolan Ryan on the mound, and they blow that. And that Houston game with Lorenzo Charles doing that, it was just devastating because that Houston semifinal game against Louisville, the doctors of Dunk versus Faisal Amajama, that may be the most athletic performance put on by two teams in NCAA history. So I felt terrible for the Cougars. And so I thought if they beat Baylor, I want them to beat Gonzaga and win the championship. But Baylor stomped them, then came out and stomped Gonzaga. And it's great for the state of Texas. It's great for Waco and Houston. People are talking about the Cougars right now. The only thing they're talking about down here last week were the Cougars, the Astros sweeping the A's, their bitter rivals, and then Deshaun Watson. John McClain with us from the Houston Chronicle here on Outkick 360. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. John, you mentioned Watson, and uh, yesterday Tony Busby had uh, two of the 22 uh, accusers at a press conference uh, where one read a statement and was in front of the camera. Uh, another had someone representing her and a statement that was read. What, what did you think as you watched the presser yesterday and over the last 24 hours or so, the response? Uh, the one that was read by was one of Tony Busby's partners, an attorney. She read one from one of their clients who said her therapist suggested she do it. But the, uh, the, the accuser who's, who was on camera and let her name be known, uh, I watched it, it was powerful. It was emotional. It was disturbing. You know, today Nike announced that it has suspended its relationship with Watson, could revisit it later. Will Nike be the first of the many endorsements that he has? The NFL is investigating. And uh, the thing is, we may never know the truth. You know, Watson's innocent until proven guilty. His accusers deserve to be heard, whether it's in court or in news conferences. And 22 of them tell a similar story. All those websites are on HoustonChronicle.com and our sports website, TexasSportsNation.com. And I've read every one of those lawsuits. And it's just, it just it blows my mind. And so I don't think there's any way Watson's going to be traded before the draft. I'd be shocked if he's playing next season. I could see him being put on the exempt list where he'd be, he would play, he would be paid, but he would not play while the league tries to sort it out. And uh, it's going to go on a long time. And I don't see any teams trading for him now. You saw what Carolina did to get Sam Darnold. The Panthers have been one of the six teams seriously interested in a trade. 49ers were one of the six. They moved up to three to draft a quarterback. Here are the Jets and the Dolphins who are interested. They're going to draft quarterbacks. The Bears 
or another one, the Broncos at nine. And uh, I just had my mock draft that I sent in. I have Justin Fields dropping down to the Broncos at number nine. So of those six teams that were interested, I'm guessing the Bears who have the lowest pick at 20, they're going to be the only one that doesn't get one of those top five quarterbacks. But hey, they got Andy Dalton, one year and 10 million. Why do you need another quarterback? So uh, you mentioned the commissioner's exempt list on which guys are paid to basically disappear. Could you see a scenario here where the evolution of guys in trouble takes another step and Houston searches for a way not to pay him to not play while he's under all of this uh, investigation? Uh, The Texans, there's no way they're going to cut him and go after his signing bonus. That sends a terrible message. It sends a powerful message about what they will do under circumstances like this, but it also sends a message about um, when anytime you go after a player's signing bonus, and if he, if the Texans don't do anything, he said he's going to hold out, and he's going to sacrifice millions because he wants to be traded. And uh, it would be doing Watson a favor for Goodell to put him on the exempt list when they start getting paid when the season starts because that way he gets paid for sitting out. He sits out on his own, he doesn't get paid. But I tell you this, you know, this is terrible for the women, it's terrible for Watson, it's terrible for the Texans because they go from hoping to get three ones, two twos, and a defensive starter and maybe more with six teams bidding for him to getting nada. John, what's the next layer to this story that you're waiting on now? I mentioned yesterday we, we were waiting on the NFL to say something. I know they released a statement through Brian McCarthy as they saying they were monitoring a, a deeply disturbing situation. What, what are you watching for now? I'm watching to see if any other companies suspend their uh, deals with him or drop him. And uh, I already know they're not going to be able to trade him before the draft. I'm not waiting for that. And truthfully... Uh, beyond the lawsuits and the penalties from the NFL, which will take forever, although you would think they would prioritize this, the investigative arm of the NFL, because of the severity of it, of how many accusers there are, that they would try to speed it up compared to, say, Antonio Brown, who's still being investigated from 2019. So uh, I don't never thought he would report for an off-season program or training camp but uh, and maybe that it's not going to make him want to come back to the Texans anymore but maybe financially he may have to well and John that's what I want to get to it was one big story when Deshaun Watson was demanding a trade from the football side of this and I want to ask you about the football side of this organizationally not just with Deshaun Watson but now with the Texans organization they're stuck in limbo they got a guy who's more than likely going to be suspended uh, we don't know how long, but that's probably going to happen. You've got a draft coming up. What does this do football-wise to the organization with the quarterback who's your star player <clears throat> wanting to be traded, but now all these legal problems going on? What are the Texans left to do? Does this change a draft strategy for them? How do you see this playing out with, with the football side of things for the Texans? Well, when you don't have a first or second round pick, Chad, like it's not going to affect much of your draft. You know, we wondered, okay, what if the 67th pick that Nick Casario, the GM, who just made his 34th, brought in his 34th player with a tight end 
yesterday and has made more than 40 transactions, closing in on 45 counting players he's gotten rid of or has not re-signed, that would he take a quarterback with all the needs they have? In my second mock draft, I have him taking a cornerback. At some point, I'll have him taking defensive linemen. Those two are bigger priorities than anything. But what if there's a quarterback like, say, Kellen Mond or Davis Mills or Kyle Trask, who he has a second-round grade on, a high second-round grade, and he drops into the third round? Would they take him with all those other needs? They signed to Rod Taylor. They traded for Ryan Finley from Cincinnati. Those are their two quarterbacks right now. Watson's still on the roster. Watson was not going to report. Watson was not going to play. So when it comes to having him around, they if he lived up to what he told them, they were going to be without him anyway. So whatever moves they make, they got to do it. I don't, they're not going to get a franchise quarterback there. There's been a lot of quarterbacks drafted in the third round down, like Joe Montana and Tom Brady and Johnny Unitas and, and Russell Wilson. And those guys, it, it can happen. And maybe they'll get somebody there. But right now, I think they're competing for the top pick in next year's draft. And they better hope that a Zach Wilson or Joe Burrow emerges next season and nobody was predicting before the previous draft. John McClain with us in the Pro Football Hall of Fame for his great coverage of the league. And also, you can read his work at cron.com. John, what do you think of Carolina? They, they want a big fish quarterback. They've decided to go with Sam Darnold. Uh, they were going to be a big contender, I think, for, uh, for Watson. They go a different direction here. Sam Darnold, the uh, reclamation project, coming out of a terrible situation in New York, and New York's new regime is going to draft a quarterback with the number two pick. Darnold goes to, uh, to a good head coach, a good coordinator in Joe Brady uh, with a clean slate. Now, they didn't give up too, too much for him if he's a guy that pans out and is a quality starter for them. What do you think of that trade? What do you think of his potential in Carolina? If you go back to 2016 and you look at the quarterbacks taken at the top of the first round, all of them have new zip codes. It is amazing. And then these five quarterbacks who are going to go in the first round, how many of them will have new teams within four years? Just, just amazing. Not just They're not bad decisions made on these quarterbacks. It's bad coaching, bad systems, bad turnovers and quarterback coaches and offensive coordinators. Sam Darnold was the third overall pick. He's 23 years old. And I remember the Texans played at MetLife Stadium his rookie year in December. Watson played great. The Texans won, but Darnold was tremendous. And after that game, friends of mine in the New York media like, aha, that's why they drafted him so high. This kid is going to be the best in name of this kid. He showed today what he's capable of doing. And then he was never able to consistently do it, and he was hurt. And they didn't help him with the personnel around him. And Carolina, with Matt Rule running the show, they want to surround him with weapons. Rule loves Joe Brady, what he did with Joe Burrow at LSU, and how much he helped uh, when he was in a minor role with Sean Payton, what he did there. And he did everything last season he could do with Teddy Bridgewater. But I'm guessing we're going to see a different Sam Darnold next season, especially if, say, with that uh, pick, they are able to get him a big-time weapon or a big-time offensive lineman protection because I think Sam Darnold can play. 
49ers with the third pick. They know they're going to have their choice of, of Jones, Fields, or Lance. Everybody says I'm picking a different guy, but the fact is they obviously like two, at least two of those guys. So it's fascinating. And I, if, I'm, if I'm Nick Casario, right before the draft, I'm going to call Joe Douglas with the Jets, and I'm going to say, Joe, here's what we know. Here's what we think we know. Would you swap that pick Sean Watson just straight up going from trying to get three ones, two twos and a defensive starter for a quarterback. If you like him, then maybe Casario doesn't think he's a franchise, but if he does make that offer and see if they do it, if Woody Johnson would let him do it with all this hanging over his head. And because if they got him in a straight up trade for an unproven rookie and Watson gets this behind him as he will eventually, and plays great again, then that could end up five years from now being a steal. John, we know the draft begins at pick number four. We know quarterbacks are going one, two, and three. But at number three, when the when the trade was made, we haven't talked with you since the 49ers jumped up to the third overall pick. When you saw the news come down, which quarterback did you immediately think Shanahan was after because you know him well? Well, I don't have any idea. People are trying to read into the fact that he went to Alabama's pro day or his college teammate, Chris Sims, who he's really good friends with, said Jones. Kyle Shanahan's not stupid. He's not going to tell Chris, Chris Sims who he's going to draft, knowing that Sims is on the media every day. And I'm, I'm guessing if he keeps Jimmy Garoppolo, like he says he is, that they've getting a guy that they think needs to sit for a year because they're trying to bounce back and win a division. Like in 2019, when they went to Super Bowl, it's the toughest division in the NFL. Kyle doesn't want to be in last place playing a rookie quarterback every game. You know, they would like to do like the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes, save it for the last game, go to the playoffs with Garoppolo again, hope Garoppolo stays healthy. Then next offseason, maybe for the draft, you trade Garoppolo then. And uh, as far as which one, in my mock drafts, I'm going to have Justin Fields, Mac Jones, and Trey Lance. And I'm pretty sure by the time they do it on April 29th, I will have gotten one of those right. <laughs> <laughs> and you have, uh, are you going to stick with Kyle Pitts at number four overall to Atlanta the entire time? Just changed uh, to Atlanta to Trey Lance. Because mm. of this, Matt Ryan, they redid his contract. And next year, his cap figure is $45 million, which means he's going to have to be redone again. And so I'm sure Arthur Smith goes in there, and he'd love to work with Matt Ryan. Ryan can still play. But I also bet, as a, as a off, longtime offensive coach and a play caller and an offensive coordinator, now getting his first chance as a head coach, those guys love to get their hands on a quarterback of their choosing. So this week... I had uh, Jones going three and Trey Lance going four and Justin Fields dropping down to Denver at number nine. Where do you stand generally, John, on the idea of Atlanta not being a terrible team, still having a, a quarterback who's certainly you know top half of the league with Matt Ryan? Are you a, they should use four to get the best player they can to go for it with Ryan? Or are you on the side of, hey, they're not going to be up at four again anytime soon. They should get the guy that's going to replace Ryan 
while they're up there? Which, which side of that are you on? Well, Paul, first of all, they've got to think, you know, this is the last time we're going to be picking this high. You know, they're fired up about the Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot, the new regime coming in there, and they're pretty sure they're going to compete for at least a wild card berth. But you got the Saints without Drew Brees. You got the Bucks bringing back everybody. You got Carolina with Sam Darnold, with Matt Rule in his second season. The toughest thing last year was being a new coach with new coordinators under the COVID-19 restrictions with which they had to work in the offseason and training camp without a preseason. So I think we're going to see the Panthers make dramatic improvement, but it doesn't, still doesn't mean they won't finish last. I could see the Falcons finishing second or fourth. I think we'll all pick Tampa Bay for number one. But if they if they believe they're not going to be picking there again for a while, to me, they got to take quarterback. No matter how tempting it is to have your choice of every other player. Something else I'd consider, say Denver is dying to get a quarterback, and they make them a great deal to move down to number nine. They can still get a great position player. They might miss out on the quarterbacks. And if that's the case, instead of having a pick of all of them, I'd drop from four to nine and have a pick shot at a lot of them. A little behind the scenes. Last night I was talking with John on the phone and he said, man, your show looks really, really good on social media. And I said, that's all thanks to Lance Lee, Jacob Swanson, and David Reed. Uh, what I didn't talk with John about is both Lance and Jacob, John, are were and are in some wonderful bands uh, throughout their time. <laughs> And you certainly know great band names. You you were in a band in high school, uh, a band name that you will never repeat in public, and the secret is still and remains well, I was safe. I going to just tell you guys, I was going to tell you right now what that band name is. <laughs> okay, go ahead. It's an exclusive to Outkick 360. <laughs> yeah, the name, of our, the name of our band when we did it was... <laughs> and it froze right there. Uh, uh, for, but, uh, Streaming hey, problems. But John, I, I do want to uh, Jacob on a scale. On a, again. I can't hear you. Y'all are talking. I can't hear you. Let me go over here and see if I accidentally turn. Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. But in all seriousness, you, you know great band names and hilarious ones at that. I, I want to get on a scale of one to ten. You to rank these three for us, just each one through ten. That's brilliant. Uh, because both Lance and Jacob, these are all post uh, past band names that they were a part of. These are real. These are all real. They change band names like underwear. Uh, the first one is Night Fist. Night, like you've been knighted. Night Fist. Night with a K. Yeah. Night Fist. Boy, why Fist? I'd put that about a three. <laughs> okay, three out of a ten. Night Ranger, um, I like that. He knows a <laughs> Dad's Acid. <laughs> two, two. He laughed hard though for those of you only on comedic effect worked. And finally, glove hand. Glove hand. Well, that certainly makes sense. I'd give that about a five. And now that I'm back on, I'll see what you guys would rate my old band name uh, when we were. In terms of y'all uh, need to work. Y'all need to work on this sound system. Yeah, they really do. In terms of the quality of the secret, John, it is a 10-plus. Yes. I've never been part of such a fun secret with a group of friends that I could think of as your band name. It's great. 
Well, I think I think I've told you guys this uh, several times when I have been in Nashville, and the last time I was getting, I was up for the Deshen Muscular Dystrophy fundraiser with uh, Mike Brabel and John Robinson, and I was getting my my car from a valet, and uh, I told him thank you, and he stopped and he said, "Could you say that again?" I said, "Thank you." He said. Are you on the radio? I said, yeah. He said, are you John McClain? I said, yeah. Instead of saying, man, I really love listening to you like everybody else did, he goes, hey, I got to know what was the name of your band. I won't tell anybody, I promise. Oh. And I said, uh, sorry, that secret will will die with me. So oh, no, no doubt, no doubt. John, um, and it's safe with us as well. Uh, I, we, we love having you on. Thank you for joining us today and what's been an extremely busy schedule for you, and, and let's do it again soon. Guys, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much as always, and remember, second bears. Congratulations. Congrats, John. Thanks, John. John McClain of the Houston Chronicle, great friend of the show and continues to be just that. Great job. Without with the, kick. With the band name stuff. The next uh, popular question is going to be, are you growing a beard? Uh, yes, I am. Yeah. Uh, Claire. I, I think it's a pretty easy yeah. answer to that. Well, he, yeah. I, I mean, Hutton and I go the same on this. We will both just oh, yeah. divest ourselves of shaving for 10 days at a time, which is about what that is. That's 10 Claire has days. requested that I grow the beard for our anniversary, which is a week from Friday. Yeah. And I, I've had some production things this week, and I, I, it was really bugging me that I didn't shave for this, <laughs> but I, I haven't done it. It's an anniversary uh, gift. It's a gift. What, and what number anniversary? Is beard? Five. Is, is beard the five year, year five. anniversary? Um, Hair? So, so many meetings. So yeah. many meetings. <laughs> uh, like, like, she, she walked in. I, I had the razor out the other day. and like, She knocks she, it out of his She hand. was like, what are you doing? And I was like, <laughs> How dare you? Neck. How dare you? She doesn't want that. She wants What do you think, Chad? Straggly? Like a, my, the secret's out not on the beard, but on the gray. I've got a ton of gray in the yeah, beard. Yeah, that's it, this I, area right here is gray for virtually every. I don't know if you could even grow it out, but it, I don't grow a lot of hair right there. But right on the top of the chin is gray for me too. That's the spot. That's the spot. Yep. Yeah. Then I didn't really notice the gray, to be honest with you. But now that you point at it, I'm not oh, going to see anything else. It's, it's there, and it's not going away. <laughs> so are you going to leave it to judge it after she gets the gift well, of the so beard on the anniversary? You, Will you then judge if you like it or not? We can put it up for a show, uh, show, <laughs> show vote if you want. Uh, so going back to 2012, the first year that the show, the trio was together, I believe I grew a beard for the Predators playoff run. Like until they lost, I grew the beard you out. That? Um, uh, he had a beard early that's in the, the last time, history, I remember. That's the last time oh, I heavy did it. Of a beard. So. It was Not pretty heavy. heavy. It, it was heavy a heavy beard. beard. We, really? we, it went pictures. like two months, yeah. Yeah, there's pictures where you can see it went like two months. Beard. Is that itching? That's the last time Claire liked me, too, was when I had the beard. Yeah. So it's back. Yeah. Oh, it's nice to get her back. <laughs> yeah. It's no amount of facial hair can make Angie like been me. Been a decade. So, uh, see, mine's been a decade. Oh, yeah. If I go, uh, you know, and I've been shaving once a week right now. If I go much longer than that, I lose Teresa entirely. She's the other way. She wants nothing to do with it. Oh, clean shaving. Yeah, she much prefers clean shaving. Patrick on Twitter, follow us at Outkick360, says, For a split second, I thought we were going to learn the name of the band, and for that split second, all of the pain of 2020 disappeared, <laughs> and everything was perfect. That was a fantastic tease from John McClain. That was a fantastic split oh, second. We're yes. happy to provide you with that split second.
We are back we with more on OutKick 360, including breaking news in college basketball with the coaching circle. That is next.